the kingdom of Israel in the north has rebelled. But what about Judah? Solomon's son Rehoboam is on the throne, and he rules over what remains. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. Earthquakes shake both sides of the fault line, and they can have levels of devastation that don't discriminate based on this side or that. One side may be wealthy, the other poor. One side may have a financial center, the other a factory. One side may be pious, the other pagan. These social divisions may mean something the moment before an earthquake, but the moment after, everything has changed. Devastation comes, and it doesn't care what side you're on. Rehoboam was king in the south, king primarily over the tribe of Judah, but also the smaller and essentially assimilated tribe of Benjamin. Rehoboam's father, Solomon, had reigned over a vast area from the border of Egypt to the Euphrates River. Yet after the earth-shattering split of the kingdom, Rehoboam was left with the smallest fraction of that area. While his father had conducted trade through the Mediterranean Sea, the Red Sea, and the Arabian Sea, Rehoboam was now ruling over a landlocked area of little significance to the rest of the world. The trade highway that Solomon had created was now only a memory. The once great kingdom of Israel had been shaken, and Rehoboam would have to pick up the pieces. Jeroboam in the north had been making a mess of things. He'd made golden calf idols, set up his own priesthood, and even created an unauthorized feast. He'd led the tribes of the north astray, but he had no power in the south. Rehoboam was king here, and he was king over Jerusalem, with the real temple, the real priesthood, and their real God. Would he rebuild better than Jeroboam? Let's read out of 1 Chronicles chapter 14 and 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, and pillars, and ashram on every high hill, and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. You'd think that Rehoboam would learn from what happened to his father when Solomon had turned his back on the Lord. Rehoboam had seen with his own eyes that Yahweh would not tolerate the worship of false gods. He'd seen the kingdom split due to that very fact. Yet despite all this knowledge, Rehoboam rebelled and the kingdom of Judah rebelled. They built idols, false places of worship, and even had male cult prostitutes and their perverse worship practices. Within five years of Solomon's death, 
the kingdom becomes involved in all the awful practices of the Canaanites that had been largely defeated during the reign of Rehoboam's grandfather, David. Despite all the apparent credentials of the kingdom, led by David's house, home of the temple, and home of the legitimate Levitical priesthood, they were unfaithful. They knew what they should have done, but they rebelled anyway. God isn't pleased, and the consequences come swiftly for the little kingdom. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people were without number who came with him from Egypt, Libyans, Sikkim, and Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Shishak the Pharaoh in Egypt is allowed by God to come into the land of Judah and defeat the people all the way to Jerusalem. He plunders Jerusalem and takes all the gold and wealth that he can find. All those vestiges of the golden age of the nation are stripped away until almost nothing is left. Only some of the temple vessels are allowed to remain. But God isn't done. Through a prophet named Shemaiah, he comes to the leaders of Judah and says, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you into the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came again to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. This scene is perhaps instructive to us because it shows us more of the heart of God. His desire isn't vengeful retribution on the nation. His desire is their repentance. He wants them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Despite God's initial announcement of abandonment to their enemy Shishak, because Rehoboam and the leaders humbled themselves, God tempered the judgment. He doesn't allow total defeat of Jerusalem. Instead, he makes the nation be servants to Pharaoh for a time, probably servants in the form of forced taxation. God's mercy shines, even in this dark moment for the southern kingdom. They know that they've done wrong. They know that God is righteous in his judgment on their behavior, and they humble themselves before him. God responds with mercy on these people, who deserve the same judgment as the Canaanites before them. We can find ourselves in the same spot with God. Maybe we know that we deserve correction or judgment from God because of some sin that we've committed. We've all been there. But we shouldn't forget this little scene from the Bible. When we humble ourselves before God, when we have faith in Him and His righteousness, when we depend on His mercy alone, it's in that state that God's mercy is most likely to be given to us. As wise King Solomon once said, Surely God scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. After this intrusion by Egypt, God eventually allows Rehoboam to strengthen his reign once again. The twelve remaining years of his reign, however, are still a time of war. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah are at war continually during this time, and even as Rehoboam's son takes the throne. 
Abijah continues Rehoboam's war against Jeroboam's northern forces. Abijah shows himself courageous in battle, and he shows that he understands the necessity that Yahweh fights for Judah against Jeroboam. But despite these apparently faithful qualities, his short three-year reign is largely characterized by sin. We read this. Abijah walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave David a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. The earthquake of the kingdom split was a prelude to some bad times in Israel and Judah. In the north, they forgot God, set up their own priesthood, set up golden calves, and rejected worship of Yahweh. In the south, despite their credentials, they did similarly, setting up Asherah poles, high places, and even cult prostitutes like the Canaanites before them. It's amazing how quickly the hearts of the people turned from God that had given them such success and wealth during the reigns of David and Solomon. They had gone from a struggling band of tribes to a regional force to be reckoned with. They had gone from small-time trading to vast wealth of gold and silver. All this was from Yahweh alone, the one who gives power to defeat enemies and power to make wealth in the first place. All this was from God, yet the people rebelled as soon as a tough time hit. Can we relate to that? Can we look around and see the blessings that abound around us? Most of us have a home to live in, a family to love us, a way to put food on the table. And many of us have material abundance far in excess of what we've just described. Many of us are simply awash in prosperity. We know blessing in ways that could compare to Israel in Solomon's day. The question is, what will we do with our blessing? Will we keep collecting more? More gold? More silver? More, more, more? Will we begin to test the limits of God's grace with a little rebellion here and a lot of rebellion there? Will we stand up in pride and claim that we alone earned this blessing, disregarding the plain provision of God, of hands to labor and minds to think? The Israelites took their blessing and squandered it. They thought that they owned their gold, but their gold owned them. They thought they could stand before God with plain and high-handed sin against Him, not realizing that the legs on which they stood were from God Himself. They thought that Yahweh was a tool for convenient blessing, only to be discarded when the times became tough. Blessing turned to apathy, and apathy turned to open rebellion. It's important for us all to take stock of ourselves from time to time. Not to look at our bank accounts, but to look at our hearts. Is blessing ruining me? Is apathy creeping in? Is sin becoming easier to commit? If so, there's no better response than humility. Remember what Solomon said in his wiser moment. 
Surely, God scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. Join us next time as we take a look back at the Kings before we prepare to launch on our rapid quest through the next era of the Bible story. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023